So, let me just say this as we get started, that we are not hearing this for that other person. <laughs> what the devil... This has got several thoughts, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at this most deadly virus. If you've ever seen WebMD, if you've ever Googled that, that's kind of what we do right now when we start feeling symptoms. How many of you ever Googled your symptoms to find out what the problem is, and you inevitably find out that you're on the route to dying? <laughs> and uh, But WebMD will, will give you the what it is, the symptoms... The causes, the risk factors, treatment, and prevention. We have a bit of a um, magnanimous and lofty goal of of tackling all those with with religion today. But first of all, we're going to start off with just some comments about religion in the unfolding of God's plan since Jesus. We could even go before Jesus, but since Jesus uh, birthed the church and poured out the Holy Spirit... Um, and how that affects the church even up to today. In fact, let's start with Jesus on a cross. See, what, what, the, the, what happens is that in every generation, the devil is doing something. The devil is always at work. The devil is a spiritual force, a spiritual entity. He has uh, cohorts and minions. He's got a whole network, according to Ephesians chapter 6. We know that. Uh, and, and there is a, an army, can I say. And an army has directions and instructions. And there's things that are happening in every generation and in every city. There are things that the enemy is trying to do in our city in this generation. And every time that is the case, which is always, God also is doing something. And what religion will do is try to get the church to fight against what the devil's doing. That is not what we need to do. We need to link arms with the one true living God. And he, through our leaps of faith and obedience, will use us to leverage the very thing that the enemy is doing to catapult his purposes forward. Let me give you some examples here. When Jesus went to the cross, it would appear, the devil put him on the cross. I know God put him on the cross, Rodney. Don't, I know. It pleased the Lord to, to put him on the cross. I know that that's true. But the devil was operating in people to put Jesus on a cross, thinking that that was going to be bring destruction to the work of God. And, the, and God was not fighting the devil. God had a redemptive plan of how to use the very thing that the enemy was doing to bring about salvation in the earth. Can I move forward? The devil brought Roman oppression against the people of God. I want you to understand this. The promises of God given to the people of God, Israel had promises of God. It was a a crime of note that God's people would be under Roman, Gentile, people who did not have covenant with God, oppression under them. And the religious figures of the time of Christ had an indignation of when is the Lord going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It was the devil who did that. You know what happened in the Roman Empire? Roads connected the entirety of a, of, a, of a whole Western world that before had been completely separated and united under one language, Greek. 
And what the devil intended to bring destruction against God's people became the very basis that when Jesus came and the gospel was birthed, there were already highways created to where from the people of God, salvation could be uttered into the uttermost nations of the earth and everyone would speak the same language and be able to understand each other. Now, in the religious thinking... They weren't even thinking about the Gentile nations. You know what they were thinking? Those Gentiles are the, they're the bad guys. They're the people of God. And what God was saying is, I have called you my people to be the first fruits of salvation. And you're to serve and lay down your life for those Gentile nations. Yeah. Wasn't even in the thinking. Religion. Yeah. Now you guys may be amening me right now. The church in America. Yeah. Is always thinking about the liberal uh, political agenda and, and the persecution and the this and the that. And I want to say, guys, wake up. The devil brought about the age of enlightenment and humanism in the 1700s. You know what God did? He used that as something to cause spiritual hunger to bring about the, the first and second great awakenings. The devil in the 1960s brought about the tune-in, turn-on, drop-out counterculture movement. Some of you, a lot of you were old enough to experience this. <laughs> and some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That was, that was this, this uh, break-on through to the other side. There's got to be more than this material world. We want transcendental experience. We want to drop acid. We want to have hallucinogenic drugs to find ourselves. We want to go to India and learn about meditation. We want to find this other place. And you know what God did? He poured out the charismatic renewal in the 1960s and 70s and caused people to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something more than just preaching and teaching and doctrine. Something of experience and living reality of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And I want to say the devil in this generation has brought about something some of you don't even know about it. Deconstruction of faith. Secularization of a post-Christian society. I grew up in the you know, 70s and 80s and 90s and America was a Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation. There are places in our country where people don't even know the name Jesus. And conservative Christians wanting to say this is horrible. What is God up to in this, in this generation? God is delivering his church from religious smallness. Amen. You ready for the what it is and the symptoms? And the causes and the risk factors and the treatment? Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm saying this with passion. I'm telling you, I am saying it with, in my heart with humility. What is religion? What it is? What's the coronavirus, you know, or COVID-19 or whatever it is? And they've got this whole idea of the strain and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, but I do know some things about religion. What it is? Religion is substituting the real God with something man-made. Mm. Religion is substituting the real God with something man-made. I've got four things here, so I'm just going to go through them quickly. Four things of what it is before we get to the symptoms. Religion is doing service to God apart from intimate connection with Him. I want to remind us that intimate connection is the whole point. 
And how often we forget that simple thing. We think that really the whole point is that we act right and do the will of God. And doing the will of God comes from and only will come from intimacy at a heart level, connection with God. Religion is doing service to God apart from intimate connection with Him. It's our most important thing. What is religion? It is, listen to this, it is the only thing that upset Jesus. Jesus was the explicit incarnation, the exact representation of the Father. When He came, He was demonstrating what pleases God, what displeases God. The only thing that displeased God was not the liberal agenda. It was not the sin of the prostitute and the people of God who have lost their way and they're denying the law and all of those things. He seemed to, in in a sense, not even really care. He cared about the problem. But what he was perturbed by were the self-righteous Pharisees, scribes, and elders who saw themselves as the religious elite and the keepers of the moral code. That's the only thing that made him upset. I want to ask us if Jesus was manifesting himself in bodily form in the church today, how would we fare with him? (laughs) And religion is the most dangerous enemy of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's a counterfeit and a substitute and we so easily get duped by what is true but it is missing the whole point. We, we are good with knowing the truth. Good with acting right. Good with doing church right. But we can miss the whole heart of God. Shall we look at some symptoms? It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to say them anyway. <laughs> Symptoms. We got a couple. I'm going to try to go through these as, as quickly as possible for the sake of time. One symptom of religion is that we are stuck in what God was doing rather than adjusting to what He is doing. In Matthew chapter 16, the disciples were walking with Jesus. Jesus asked, who do, you, who do men say that I am? They said, some say John the Baptist, Isaiah, Elijah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he says, okay. And who do you say that I am? I believe Jesus is still perpetually asking the same question. Who do you say that I am? Uh, John, uh, Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Uh, but I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock... I, who is I? Jesus. Jesus, I will build my church. He was revealing in that moment of a construction project that would be going on that would not happen in an instant. It would be a progressive reality. And from the moment that Jesus ascended, he has been fulfilling that promise of building his church. 
Which is to say, Jesus is not a religious icon, a stuck idol that we worship, a figure who died and is out there somewhere. Jesus is alive. He is doing something in this generation. He's doing something in his church in Detroit in 2020. It's our privilege to connect no matter how radical it may be, no matter how crazy it may be, no matter what the sacrifice involved is. We have the privilege of following Jesus and what he's doing today. And you know what we have to do? We have to leave some of the stuff that we're used to in order to go where he's going now. Religion will begin to worship what God did. We'll begin to identify God with what it looked like then. God will, we must hold very lightly the form and the manifestation of what things look like. We oftentimes get very confused of what is sacred and what is temporary. Musical styles, the way we dress, the way we blah, 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 all that stuff is just temporary. God and what he's doing, the work of the Holy Spirit, that is the point. Paul, just as an example... Uh, should I say it or should I not? <laughs> it's not that I'm afraid of saying it. It's that I just want to manage time well. In the early church, I want you to get this. In the early church, God decided to birth the church through his people, the Jewish people, Israel. There was a Jewish culture that had been given to them by God. Cultural traditions, ways of doing things. Do you see how easy it would be to equate God is this? It wasn't that they had made up all that stuff. The Word of God told them to celebrate this festival and do this and, and, and so on and so forth. But the ultimate purpose of salvation was to go into the Gentile world. And when, when that time frame came, the requirement was no longer that all people who call on the name of the Lord follow strict obedience to the law and all the Jewish customs. The church was birthed in a Jewish world. And it was, oddly enough for us, it was a big deal for those Jews to actually cross that line and actually start mixing with Gentiles. And in the city of Antioch, there was the first time that we see in Scripture a church that was specifically gr- Greek. The, uh, uh, Hellenist, uh, no. Yeah, but it says that they began to speak to the Grecians when... when uh, they, they left Jerusalem because of persecution and they went as far as Antioch preaching the gospel and they started speaking to the Grecians, I think it says. It, there was a, a, a specific Greek culture in the church. When Peter, the apostle, goes and visits Antioch, Paul, the apostle, who was called to take this gospel to the Greeks, had to rebuke Peter. Why? Because Peter was trying to impose Jewish culture onto the freedom that they were experiencing in Antioch as Gentile believers. Are you tracking? What I'm saying is Jesus is building his church. It started in one generation in Jerusalem. But there came a point where it was going out to the Gentile nations. And when it went there, what what it looked like back in Jerusalem was not going to fit. Peter went out knowing what he had seen of God. This is the way the church is to be. This is what it looks like. And he goes out there and he almost messes the whole thing up. Trying to impose what is right, but wrong heart. 
Paul, the apostle, says, Galatians 2.14, When I saw that they were acting, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in other words, Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Their culture was what God did, but it was not what God was doing. And in, in nine, um, Matthew 9.14, you can turn with me there, Jesus tells us that we have to be like a new wineskin in order to follow what he's doing. See, religion wants to keep us stuck in what God was doing. And it's so deceptive because God was the one that was doing it. It's not like we're uh, ascribing to some heinous, sinful thing. We're trying to do what we think God is doing doing, but we're stuck in what he was doing rather than keeping that place of faith, walking with him in a current situation. In Matthew chapter 9, 14, Jesus says this, then, or it says, then came to him the disciples of John. I want you to pay attention to that. The disciples of John. Who's John? John is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is what God was doing before Jesus, right? John was the forerunner to Jesus, so the people who were disciples of what God had just been doing come to Jesus, and this is what they have to say. Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? God was just doing this thing with John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist of God? And what were they doing with him? They were fasting, they were repenting, and they were getting baptized in the Jordan River. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene, and they're eating, and they're having parties, and they're friends with sinners, and they're being um, accused of being gluttons. I like, I like that move of God. Anyway, I'm kidding. <laughs> Do you see what's going on here? Religion says that is not right. Whereas faith discerns that everything that we have been doing has been preparing for this. And what this is looks nothing like that, but God's in it. Life is in it. And so it says, your disciples don't fast. Drop over to verse 17. Jesus says, nor do men put new wine. Say new wine. New wine. How many of you want new wine? I want the new wine. I don't want what God was doing in the 70s. Yes, I do. I want to build on it. But that doesn't satisfy. I want the new wine that he's pouring out today. New wine into old wineskins. Or else the wineskins burst and the the wine runs out and the wineskins perish. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved together. What is a new wineskin? It's very simple. A new wineskin in practical real earth reality is, simp- is supple and it's flexible. It hasn't become rigid. And when we anchor ourselves in what God was doing, we become rigid and stuck and God is no longer able to pour something new because we only want God to look and do this. And we need to be flexible, hearts of a child, to say, God, I need you. Thank you for what you did, but I'm hungry for more. Can we receive God if He is manifesting in a way unlike what He did before? Don't confuse form with being sacred. What it looks like is going to change. Move with the seasons, move with the generation. 
and move even with what God's doing in this location. What God is doing in the city of Detroit may not look like what God was doing in Johannesburg, South Africa, where we used to live. I've got to move with what God's doing here. We saw wonderful things in Johannesburg. Those methods may not work here. God's doing a different thing with this people. What's another symptom? That was kind of one of the bigger ones, stuck in what God was doing. Another symptom is that we are more passionate about right doctrine than Jesus, the living person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And religious Christianity will be passionate about truth and will know the truth and will be the ones who hold everyone else accountable to the right doctrine that we know completely denying the heart of the one who is the truth, who came in grace to lay down his life for those who were not worthy of it. So more passionate about right doctrine. Jesus says, John 5, 39, listen to this. Search the scriptures. He's talking to some religious people when when he's talking here. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. How much of the church is passionate about knowing the Scripture. And I want to say this, that it is more important that our devotion be to the Lord of the book, more so even than the book of the Lord. And our devotion to the book of the Lord is to connect with the Lord of the book. We do need to know the Scripture and devour it, not for head knowledge, not so that we can preach and to share all the... so that we can be transformed so that people can see Him through us and so that we can be intimate with Him. Another symptom, confusing the traditions of men with God's commandments. You can look with me, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. It says, And the Pharisees, I mean, this is exposing right here. The Pharisees, and the Pharisees and uh, some of the scribes, who epitomized in that day the religious, right? As we said earlier. They came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eating loaves with unclean hands, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Say, found fault. Religious people. Religion operating in me has a tendency of finding fault with people. And if I am doing the work of the Lord because I'm actually by correcting people or trying to help them to see because I'm irritated because they're doing or they're thinking wrong, I'm probably not abiding in intimacy with the heart of God. Correct me if I'm wrong. When Jesus came around, he did not walk around pointing a finger and finding fault. Somehow people fell to their knees in repentance nonetheless. But it wasn't because of them being condemned or being corrected. It was because of encountering something that made them want what he had. It says, uh, and when they found fault, verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they immerse their hands with the fist, holding the tradition of the elders. Hear that, the tradition of the elders. What does that mean? That means this was not really something of God, but it was the religious culture that had been handed down to them. And consequently, they associated it with being God. 
this thing of washing the hands. And, and so often we are imposing or we're uncomfortable when people are not doing church, not doing the Christian thing the way that we know it's supposed to be done. We get uncomfortable. Well, we need to ask the question, what has God commanded and required? And what is just church as we've known it? Verse 4, in coming from the market, they do not eat without immersing, uh, and there are many other things which they receive to hold, which they have received, sorry, to hold the dippings of cups and pots and of copper vessels and of tables. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's the issue. Doing what we think God wants Heart connection, not a part of the equation. And I want to I graciously say to all of us, the invitation is simply, you don't have to do what you think is right. I want you, Jesus would say, to just be with me. Learn from me. Hear me. Connect with my heart. And in so doing, you're going to want to do what I want. But that's not the, that's, that's the fruit Let's get down to the root. The root is be with me. Verse 7, they worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. I'm telling you, this is one of the biggest enemies of the gospel making impact in this generation in America. Holding on to the human traditions. And people having no interest in, in, in not sensing life or anything transformation, for, for, formational at all in it. It's just church culture. Another symptom, speaking code. Code. I became a Christian at the age of 17. I wasn't a part of a church until I was around 18, freshman year in, in college. I didn't know the church culture. I didn't know this stuff. I come into church, please hear me. And William Oglesby had a habit of calling me Brother Paul. And in my context, that means I'm a monk. <laughs> what are, why are you calling me Brother Paul? I'm not a friar. <laughs> and it's weird. Guys, listen. It gets weird. Like, the world does not get the way Christians who live in a Christian subculture talk. And I've, I've lived in church from that time forward, but I have done my darndest to not yield myself to all the, the, the isms and the verbiage and terminology that ultimately only separates me from, from people who don't yet know Jesus from feeling like they can identify with me. I was at a, uh, a couple years later, I was in a community group like we have, and lovely guy, the leader of the group, his name is Anthony, you may remember him, and he says, uh, he probably said, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, would you like to open with a word of prayer? And I remember like a, a second or two went by, what the heck is a word of prayer? <laughs> is he asking me to pray? He just ask me to pray. Why do you have to ask me to, for a word of prayer? What does that mean? I don't know your, your language. And you know what that's the fruit of? 
we get saved, we get in church, and we start associating with Christians, and we talk about the Great Commission and the world, and, and it ultimately becomes an us versus them thing, and those sinners need to come, and we need to, instead of having relationship with the world. Preach it, Brother Paul. <laughs> And I don't mean relationship with the world to try to just force our stuff down their throats. I mean love and serve people in a way that's authentic, real relationship. There's something I think the connection with the world can do one of the best things for the church. (laughs) So, yeah. And a few others. I'll just list a couple other symptoms because we need to move on. Being against things. My friends, Jesus did not come into the earth against stuff. Yes, he waged war against the devil and all that, but he wasn't coming with his political agenda and trying to point out that this is wrong and we stand against this and against this. Most of non-believing people in our nation see the churches knowing what they're against. Another symptom would be we have a greater concern for our moral reputation before people than bringing God pleasure. We're horrified if somebody finds out about our weakness. Let's go ahead and say we need to live in family and and be vulnerable and every single one of us has faults and we need to be okay with that. And if we're really hungry for Jesus, we're not going to... The goal is not for people to keep up our reputation around people so that they all know how holy we are. None of us are holy. We are holy because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, but we're being transformed. Let's be comfortable with that. Another symptom would be that unbelievers don't like you. Unbelievers love Jesus. Light shone in darkness and people streamed to the light. And he was accused of being friends with sinners. That has to be what we are accused of. That has to be. I'm talking about our dinner table. And another symptom would be you don't like unbelievers. Whereas Jesus seemed to particularly invest in them and he kind of avoided the fair. I, I avoid, I, honestly, when, when people are religious, and I'm not saying I'm perfect and there's no religion in me, but I, I, Minda and I talk about this often. I don't know how to relate to religious people. They start talking about their stuff and I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Like, I, I did not buy into that about how much we know about the end times and it's post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. What? Just, what? I want to know him. Another, and finally, another symptom would be being cranky, critical, and judgmental rather than gracious, loving, and compassionate. You know what makes us gracious, loving, and compassionate? Being with the one who is gracious, loving, and compassionate. We don't have to try to muster it up. None of us are gracious, loving, and compassionate, but spending time with the one who is, it drips off of him and onto you. And you find yourself in the presence of sinners, and you love them. Love them. Why? Because you're no better than them. And you're so grateful that you've experienced his love and mercy and kindness, and you think, oh, I just want you to have what I've experienced. He's so good. What are some causes? So we talked about um, symptoms. Causes of religion it probably piques our interest, perhaps. Disconnection from God in the context of serving God. 
maybe if there's anything that we could hear today, it would be this. Matthew 11, verse 28, the words of the one that we love and the words of the one who loves us, he says this, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And can I remind us as a church family what we've talked about in previous weeks, the loop that God's plan in agreement as a trinity, that Jesus would leave heaven and become one of us in response to the problem that we created And he would manifest for the first time what heaven and what God looks like so that we could see God again because we've been disconnected from God because of sin. But he didn't leave it at that. That alone is amazing. But he went way further to being the one to then bear the the punishment, the wrath of God poured out upon him to bear the punishment of every sin. Ultimately, for what purpose? So that what, that which was once created in Eden, intimacy and union with God could be recreated. Jesus came out of heaven, into the earth, did what I just described, and then ascended back, create, fulfilling the loop. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Completing the loop, all for the purpose of reconciling what had been lost. It's fellowship. And in that context, we understand his words, come to me. If there's anything we can be, Border City Church, is to be about coming to him. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, genuine connection with Jesus makes you chill, and it makes you love, and it makes you feel loved. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The the exact opposite of religion. Religion, modern day American Christianity, I'm sorry, says come to me and I will make you right. And Jesus, the one who only is right, the only deserving one, doesn't say anything like that. He says come to me and... I am gentle, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Religion looks good, but it kills. It kills. What are some risk factors? So we talked about what it is. We talked about some symptoms, some causes. What are some risk factors? You know what we're talking about? Risk factors? Things that we can do to make us put us at particular risk. The coronavirus, we're supposed to uh, risk would be touching other things and then touching our mouth and our nose. A risk factor would be perhaps going to the state of Washington or China for that matter or Italy apparently or Iran. What are some risk factors of this more deadly virus called religion? 
And I don't mean to, to in any way dismiss the horror of what is happening in the earth right now and the compassion for people who have lost their lives and people who have lost loved ones. I'm not, I'm not making light of that. I, I, but I, with all due respect, am saying this is a far more deadly virus in the earth. What are some risk factors? I've got two for us. Immersion into church subculture. We become inoculated by being surrounded by people who know how to do church and we learn how to do church and we become actually comfortable with it and we we start talking the code and we start knowing how to act the act and all of the stuff. And before we know it, the world who we are in this world for, there's no other reason for us to even be left here. The world doesn't even know how to connect with us and actually is repelled by us. Another risk factor would be a gospel that focuses more on what we should do and how we should act more so than engaging his love and grace. Oh, oh my gosh. The, the message of the cross of Jesus, it, it, let's let it destroy every yoke and burden that religion tries to put on us with the simple reality that God served us while we were still sinners. His love, His goodness, His trustworthiness is without dispute. We don't have to try to do something to get Him to love us. We can't. He just wants us to come to Him and put our trust in Him. What are some, what's a treatment of this most destructive virus? I would say for sure one is Repentance. Come on. We need to repent. We need to turn. We, wanna, we need to call our enemy our enemy. And it's so hard to do that sometimes because religion looks so good. I mean, we're talking about passion for right doctrine. We're passion for the right thing to do. Passion for... And we're talking about doing, you know, being morally high road. And I don't drink and I don't cuss and I, I have my devotion time every morning and we, we tick all the boxes and we know how to go through the motions and, and we need to repent from, any, from, from a lifestyle and a form that has caused us to feel like we tick all our boxes but somehow we are no longer connecting in an authentic, real, powerful, transformative way with God. Yeah. If you look with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Sound religious to you? Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, in other words, religious guy, and another a tax collector. If you don't know, a tax collector was somebody who was probably cheating everyone out big time of money so that they could get rich. That's not very spiritual. Verse 11, the Pharisee, the religious guy, stood and he prayed this way with himself. God, I thank you. Now he's thanking God. That sounds very humble, right? 
I thank you. I'm giving you the credit. I thank you that I am not like other men. I, 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 I give you all the praise and the glory that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You hear that religious idea? Looking over there across the room, that dude. Look at his lifestyle. So much in the church acting just like that. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility, humility, humility is an antidote to religion. Repent. If you look with me over to Revelations. Revelations chapter 2. Many of you know this. Jesus has a has a uh, message to give to the seven churches of Asia Minor, one of them being Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that will go down in history, one of the hallmark churches of the New Testament. It is a base church that impacted its region and the world. It is a, a church of note. And they had all the stuff going down right. But I want us to just take serious consideration of what the message of Jesus was to that church years later as it developed. Revelations 2, chapter 1, the angel to the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. Jesus just listed all the boxes that they're ticking. They're doing a lot right. Right? And you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent and history would go on to say that there was that church in Ephesus was no longer the church that was the most happening booming church in its generation gone why? because God hated them right? Because the very point of all the good stuff that they were doing had, had somehow gotten lost to where it became a shell, continuing to do all the right stuff. But the whole point, intimacy, connection with him, had been lost. Yeah. And I want to say to us this morning, can we do maybe some, some work? Let's just... I know we already sang and we already worshiped, but let's, let's connect with him again and let's turn our hearts in an authentic way to consecrate ourselves to being a people who are a people of come to me. 
Are you with me? If there's anything, why do, we, why do we have Border City Church? So that we can build a church and make our name great and one day be known and, and we can have multitudes. And Look, we want all that. I mean, we don't want all the make our name great, but we want, we want thousands of people to be impacted. Hundreds of thousands. To be impacted with the gospel. We want every person who we can possibly reach come and encounter Jesus. Without a doubt. But ultimately, what happens and how it happens is not what it's about. It's Him. He is what we're about. And I'm, I'm trusting that as we move forward from this moment, from this day today, that we are a people who hate religion and love Jesus. Two things real quick before we do that, because we got to end the WebMD list and say the you know, prevention. The call of God that Jesus gave to the church, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Implicit in that idea is not only going and impacting other people, but also being impacted. And I would say one thing of, and, that, and that's the church. That's the mission that the church is given, to make disciples. Very simple. I would say this, very simple, prevention. Because if we're, if, we're, if we're doing this thing called church and we're not doing the very thing, I know intimacy with him is nothing, but in terms of what we do from there, it's making disciples. That's it. Receive or help other people in their journey and receive help in your journey. Authentic relationship. Help others in their journey. That's what making disciples is. And if, if the church is called to make disciples, it would imply that we also need to be discipled. Yeah. It doesn't mean other people are like lording over us or they're our boss. Jesus is our boss, but we need help. Yeah. And the only way we can be helped is to be vulnerable. And the only way we can give help is to be vulnerable. So I would just say be vulnerable, re- receive help, give help, receive help in your journey, give help in, in other people's journey. And I would say also... Let's take communion regularly. Why? Because it brings us in a tactile memory of what Jesus did for us and brings us into physical contact with something that is telling us that I died for you. I love you. I call you not because of your goodness, but because of my own goodness into intimacy with you. I've done everything to make the way available for intimacy in the place of receiving communion. I thought we were going to... What's that? So come back on Wednesday, not here, but go to Mickey's house, and we're going to do that. Can we, can we just stand?